0: Hey everyone, happy Wednesday, happy Friday actually. So this is a special uh, podcast today we're having on Friday and what we're going to do is talk to Kitty Lee, Kitty K. Lee from Wells Fargo Home Mortgage uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area and we're going to talk to her and get to know everything she's been doing. Uh, she's been in business for over 25 plus years and she's a super young lady. Uh, she's been in Wells Fargo Home Mortgage, Loan Depot, Bankers Preferred. And prior to that, even Wells Fargo. So we want to talk to her, get to know more about what she's doing, how she's been helping in the mortgage industry. Uh, She is a real estate investor as well and has a great background, working with a lot of great top producing agents. Hey, welcome, Kitty.
1: Hey, good morning.
0: Morning. How's it going?
1: Good, good. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so I just want to, you know, I've been seeing a lot about you and I've seen a lot of agents I know in the Bay Area um, working with you. So can you tell me more about you and what you've been doing?
1: Perfect. Thank you. Um, As you said, I've been doing this for about 25 years. I started when I was seven years old. So I'm going to stick to that story. Um, Started off when I was in college back in the day, everybody kind of had to have a part time job. My part time job was a bank teller at a local community bank on the East Bay. And so kind of graduated from being a bank teller um, and then new account opening um, at Citibank and then worked on the business banking side, working with businesses, getting you know, lines of credits, working on SBA loans and all that. And then I kind of had an opportunity to move to different other banks, including managing a small community branch in San Francisco. Um, That was kind of interesting because back in the day, again, back in the day, um, for smaller community banks, what we did was that we had loan committees. And for those of you who don't know, is a bunch of smaller banks get together and actually pull the resources to lend to local businesses. And because my location, my branch was right in Chinatown or actually on California Street. So, and our bank also, the owners were actually Chinese Filipinos. And anyway, so they're big investors. They they are really much involved with the Chinese community. So what I had to do was that I met, get together with other smaller banks and work with different merchants and give them business lines of credits, um, extended commercial loans, commercial real estate, imagine a big mixed-use property on Stockton Street, you have the storefront on the bottom, and you have multi-residential buildings on top. So I did that for probably about two or three years. Um, got pregnant, uh, decided to kind of stay at home for a little bit. Um, and then I go, well, you know, maybe I don't want, you know, to do so much. Then I kind of left to go to Wells Fargo doing private banking. Um, that lasted a good time got pregnant again the second time around, had some complications, stayed at home for about a year. Since then, I actually became a mortgage broker. And the idea of becoming a mortgage broker was so that I didn't have to have the 40 hours a week, eight hours a day kind of job. um, So my hours can be more flexible. And again, that was great. Did that for maybe about 15, 17 years, working on the mortgage banking, mortgage brokering side, working for different companies. And then I realized that my kids are grown, I can go back to corporate. So I rejoined Wells Fargo about two and a half years ago. Wow. So that's kind of my life story. And I started when I was seven.
0: <laughs> you're, right. you're right. You're definitely, you're super young and you're talented. And you've been through uh, quite a bit of experience in um, helping many different people, different types of loans. And, you know, I, I'm sure you have a lot of good experiences to share with us. And, you know, kind of like everything about loans and what's going on in the industry uh you mentioned too for right now let's talk about that right now you mentioned uh small business loans and before you used to help a lot of clients with small business loans are you still helping people with that right now
1: no my license right now or especially working for corporation i Mm -hmm. have a designated job description so Mm -hmm. mostly i'm well not mostly i am only in residential lending one to up to four units
0: okay great and uh, well, since you have the experience, we'll just talk about it a little bit too, because I'm sure a lot of people are asking, um, during this time in 2020 with COVID-19 and everything, um, there is a lot of businesses that are you know, being um, hurt by COVID-19, especially, and I'm sure maybe you, your colleagues have been talking about like small business loans, um, and then the loan repayment programs and what's going on with that. And that actually correlates to tying into residential ah. loans too. Can we talk a little bit about that?
1: yeah, so um, I was I'm not in charge of the PPP, which mm-hmm. is the payroll protection plan. Okay. I know every single bank, including Wells Fargo has a designated department that process those applications. Okay. And unfortunately, I've heard uh, even within internal communication, it was it had a pretty rough start. Just like any other banks you know you were given so much time little information and you have to get the program up and running yeah um but how that correlates to residential mortgage lending is that unfortunately um because of COVID 19 because of all the uncertainty meaning that we don't know we're seeing a recession we don't know it's going to be by locations right Bay Area may be different than the East Coast, maybe the, you know, taxes. So anyway, so how we're looking at this, many lenders, including Wells Fargo, are looking at it as that we need to be extra cautious when it comes to underwriting. Um, and a lot of our policy mirror Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's policy. So give you an example. Right now, if you're self-employed, obviously you can still apply for mortgage, but the underwriters will... Asked for additional documents, which they did not or may not have asked in the past, including unaudited P&L. Now, we're in June already or July, actually, in 2020. So obviously, six months have passed. So in addition to asking for two years tax returns, we look very carefully at your year-to-day P&L, private mm-hmm. and law statements. And so the business owner would need to show us the P&L, sign it even though it's an audit what we will also do is that we reserve the right to ask the uh, applicant in this situation assuming he or she is self-employed uh the bank statement Mm. to the business bank statement rather so that we can match whatever they state they have made you to date to actually correlate it with the business banking account deposit does that make sense
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense.
1: There's a lot of check and balance. And again, I, you know, it's just because we don't we everybody almost every single business except for maybe a few like Amazon, they're not affected negatively by COVID. Most businesses are negatively impacted. So we're just taking a very conservative approach.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of lenders are definitely taking that approach. And I even heard some lenders are actually asking you for audited P and L's right now. Just to verify. Yes,
1: we haven't done that yet. I yeah. don't think we will be just because of costs involved, right? Yeah. Imagine you're a small business owner, uh, but we're definitely um, being very careful. We're asking for a P&L and some businesses, unfortunately, are much harder hits. Um, for example, restaurants. If you're a restaurant owner and you're telling us that your U-to-date earnings are just as great as 2019, we're going to do a double take and say, okay, well, show me Right, because it, you kind of assume that most restaurant owners are not doing as well as they did in the last two years, at least. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we will be asking for a lot more documentation.
0: Yeah, I can kind of see that. I get it. It's you know every bank out there, lender out there wants to be extra precautious. Just knowing the fact is we don't know what's going to happen in 2020, the rest of 2020, and you know you're predicting. You know some people predict predict doom and gloom, but at the same time, some places are going up. It just depends. Um, being Having the PLs, being ready, um, having everything kind of prepared, especially if you're going to buy residential uh, homes right now, um, getting that documentation ready—it it is a lot of work. It's really hard to stay up to date, especially when you're sitting there day to day fighting for business, right. and to go back and say, "Hey, let me make time and update my PLs and have everything perfect," so that way, you know, it can be unaudited but provided to a lender to review and Mm -hmm. i'm sure a lot of people's incomes have dropped significantly during this time period and hopefully they can still qualify for a loan whether it be a perfect you know a plus or maybe a b or c clientele for the loan type right now and i'm sure there's different products out there that could work for people so there's not, not just one product there's many products but of course having everything ready prepared makes it a lot easier and yeah, it's been six months in uh, in 2020, but it's still tough, especially even for realtors, even for businesses and everyone else. You know, your sales goes up and down, right? And even yes. if we predict the sales going up the next six months, uh, the lender might not care so much about what you predict. They want to see what the hard numbers is, is what you currently have, and verify that with the balance statements you have in your accounts. Definitely. So if a client's having a little tougher, like a restaurant where a business is having a little tougher uh, issues on their income streams, what do you recommend uh, for them in terms of like a residential loan to buy a house?
1: That's a good question. Just like you said, um, there are still some programs out there. Um, they're a little bit unique in nature. Um, those are the programs that. Wells Fargo at the moment does not have. But again, relating by experience as a mortgage broker back in the day at Loan Depot at Bankers Preferred, some programs such as the bank statement programs may still be available. To give you an example, um, you have a business owner who, you know, we look at 12 months bank statements and even up to 24 months and we take the deposit and we will use that as a determination of cash flow. Which is actually, in my opinion, is a lot more accurate than tax returns mm-hmm. because tax returns you have all these expenses and some people don't report it and you know all that. But t- you know, business bank statements are actually quite accurate because what you collect as payment from your customers, they are directly deposited into the business account. Yeah. So those programs, from what I heard, um, as of yesterday, they're still available. The obviously the only catch is that those programs probably will, will demand a little bit higher down payment, possibly higher interest rates. But it's definitely a way to get into the housing market now as opposed to waiting a year or two years.
0: Yeah, and I agree to that. Like, for example, even today, the rates for a normal conventional loan, a normal jumbo loan is so cheap. It's like free money to me. It's so cheap. And I seen quotes right now, for example, and this is me as agent and just saying, like I seen some clients getting quotes at two point uh, three seven five for a fifteen year loan and having a, a good balance on it, but even two point seven five for a fifteen uh, a normal fifteen year loan, and as a thirty year loan, I seen rates as low as three or even maybe a little lower, depending on all the qualified Qualifications for a plus borrower, I'm like, wow, to me, that's really cheap. And that's technically for me, I would consider free because at the same time, if you look at the general market and then people investing, that's such a great rate you can use. And like Warren Buffett says, you know, use the banks, leverage them, use their um, assets, and borrow from the banks so you can keep building your income, building your equity, building your leverage. And by the way, you get tax deductions on this too, right? Talk to the CPA, but remember this if it's your house, if it's investment property, those are things to consider. That add value to you, yes. and a lot of real estate investors look at that.
1: Well, I was actually interesting. Uh, Wells Fargo Home Home Lending. We really specialize in jumbo financing. Um, jumbo financing in the Bay Area is loan sizes over $765,600. Um, so I was quoting actually a, a realtor who was looking to purchase um, one of you know a, a move up house in uh, in the South Bay, and so the quote was two point seven five purchase price about. 25% down. And so with her income, she's looking at possibly paying off the mortgage soon or maybe moving to another bigger house. So quote her below 2% on a 7-1R. <laughs> like it, a that that you cannot get cheaper than that. Your car loan mm. probably will have a higher rate than the mortgage, jumbo mortgage at 2 million. That's just dirt cheap.
0: And I think even education loans are higher than a 2% loan on a mortgage.
1: Yeah. At 30 years, I'm quoting again, just like you said. Depending on the profile, the relationship banking, the FICO score, and the down payment, you know, we're doing 30 year fixed in the mid twos and high twos, like 30 year fixed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can't even imagine that. I would never have think about that being so cheap. Like when I first started, I bought my first house when I was 24 in San Francisco, and when I bought it, it was like 6.25 for a 71 arm.
1: Okay, this is how old I am. Um, my first mortgage was almost 10%, and that was a good deal. 10%. That was a good deal at that time. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I have some young customers who kind of looked at, well, I'm paying three and a half or three and a quarter. Yeah. No, honey, imagine t- paying 10%. Yeah. Um, this 10% is the money is dirt cheap right now.
0: 10% is like a hard money loan, but in back in the days, it was just a normal loan.
1: It was just a normal loan. I priced out something mm-hmm. yesterday. Typical eight hundred thousand dollar purchase price. Someone putting ten percent down mm-hmm. on a thirty year fixed, even though you have to pay PMI. The mm-hmm. rate was below three percent.
0: That's cheap, and you that, can finance it out and get rid of the PMI later.
1: Yes, of course you can do that, but then you have a good old fashioned thirty year fix less than three percent. So it's you know this is so we mentioned earlier. This is definitely a purchase boom a refinance boom, um, which it's a healthy thing for the real estate markets or for homeowners because hopefully they can refinance and save that money. They can invest in something else, right? Um, and there's still every single transaction I'm involved with, every single purchase, there's always multiple offers
0: there is and people are still buying like people say oh yeah you know the market's crashing everything's going to go down but at the same time when you look at it specifically for your market consider the fact that you know if there is limited inventory and the interest rates are so low there are there is going to be a strong demand for buyers and those buyers you know i'm hoping they have they're well qualified they're willing able ready to buy they Mm -hmm. feel they have stable jobs and maybe they work at amazon salesforce tesla and they can afford it and they're going to go for it And even then and let's say the market does drop a little bit five percent ten percent if they're getting a really good interest rate on the house and they know they're going to live there for five ten plus years it won't really matter too much because they're getting into a house in the neighborhood they want they're getting uh hopefully a good choice and they can build long-term equity and hopefully depreciate the value in um, their house and improve it on it and gain equity over time so that's one way to consider it and of course if you're like you know have a a job that's more risky than is definitely a different consideration to consider right now.
1: Definitely, um, because my office is in Burlingame, most of my clients are either in the Peninsula, San Francisco, and a good handful on the South Bay. Um, we're very lucky in our area that most of my buyers, at least, are usually professionals. They're not, you know, their jobs have not been negatively impacted because of COVID. Many of them, I have a client who I just closed. He works at Tesla. And of course, when I started talking to him back in March, the Tesla stocks were six hundred, seven hundred. Yeah, I think it's nine, over thousand now. Um, yeah,
0: it, it even dropped to three fifty, and I should have bought it at three fifty. I was like, why am I not buying this? It's like it's like super cheap. You know, it's gonna go back up. If I, I know bought it, I could
1: pay off my Tesla right now I have a Tesla I'm a financing it if I bought that at 350 I going to pay off my car right
0: now <laughs> I know I told some friends before when it first started when Tesla first started it was like super cheap it was like this is gonna be the future watch one day what happens. I can't believe it passed a thousand dollars
1: I you know no what happened talking then, to him yeah. he was a 6700 we trying to time the market when to sell his company stocks yeah to a point when we closed it was a thousand dollars yeah um, and, and, and the thing is that this is this is exactly the clientele that most homeowners, at least in the Bay Area, have, right? They're paying 4000 to 5000 in rent. They make good, decent income. They probably have a good down payment, 10%, 20%. To them, buying a house, paying mortgage payments of 5000 a month, even including everything, versus paying 4000 a month for rent, it still makes sense. It does. Yes.
0: And I think that people will figure in the fact that they if they have been good income and they've been working for a while, they probably have a good down payment and good savings. So the fact is if you're currently renting and paying four to five thousand a month, you can probably buy another house and pay the same amount or close to. And for those out there who are house hacking, imagine buying that and having a roommate and paying, you know, a roommate paying fifteen hundred bucks. They're helping you pay your mortgage. You just got into a nice, beautiful house at a cheap rate, and you can continue having roommates until you need to or until you want to. And being a good home, right?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. So I think we're we're very busy. I know from a from a branch standpoint, not just myself. We have weekly sales meeting, and trust me, all the app, home applications have been up just while branch and growing game. Um, not even talking about refinances, pre approvals applications. So I can almost tell you that, and I'm sure you can even attest to it. As there's a lot of activities, still a lot of buyers. So we see home prices going up. Um, but not the number of transactions. Maybe that's due to lack of inventory or limited inventory, right? So you have same amount of buyers, if not more, because of the interest rates, and yet we don't have enough inventory.
0: That's yeah. always the issue. I think, especially for area, yeah, that is the issue of limited inventory selection. Um, there are some sellers who have, you know, the price is pretty high, and we understand that, but at the same time, there is more selection now, so that yes. if you're a buyer and you're, you know, being smart about being ready now you can always keep looking and once you find the right one just start putting offers in start negotiating see what happens you never know uh i do see some properties that have been sitting there 90 plus days but those are definitely you know at a higher price point or else uh sellers are still expecting you know pre pre-covid pricing and we'll see what happens with those but some of those sellers can afford to hold it because they owned the home yes. for 34 years and they'll just wait for the right willing able buyer to buy it and we understand that too but if you don't if you don't try you don't know
1: Correct. I agree. Um, One, again, because I've been in the business a little bit longer, I was around with the last financial crisis in 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. A lot of my buyers asked me, how is today different than Mm -hmm. what happened 12, 14 years ago, right? And one significant difference is that back then, a lot of homeowners would buy homes in 2005, 2006 with no money down, with no income verification. So it's really, there's no skin in the game. And so when this whole financial crisis hit in 2008, many homeowners either could not afford or were not able to afford the homes to begin with and end up having to default, or they basically decided not to buy this house because they bought the house for 700,000 with no money down, and the house across the street is now selling for 500. So they purposely default on the existing mortgage to buy the house across the street. So that created a lot of short sales and foreclosures, right? Things are very different now. Um, Since the last financial crisis, almost no banks were doing 100% financing. There are still some 100% financing available, but those are usually reserved or always reserved for veterans. So very few homeowners are buying things with minimal down. Most homeowners now own their home because they put 20, 30, maybe even 40% down. Many of them put cash, I'm sure you know that. Um, So even if they lose their jobs temporarily or have to go through a pay cut or go through furlough for maybe two to three months, there's so much equity on their homes that even if they were to sell, it's not a distressed sale. So one major difference between now and last time was that last time we had a lot of foreclosure, a lot of panic selling, a lot of short sales. And now I don't think you see any short sales right now because of this pandemic, because those homeowners who bought, really bought because they could afford it, because there was no, all the financing done since 2008, it, it pretty much were all income verification. So they had to qualify for the mortgage and they had to put money down. And so I, I have this conversation with a lot of my first time home buyers who are waiting for the prices to drop especially they're looking in some of the very desirable neighborhoods such as Sunset or, you know, Outer Richmond. And even if you look back in Sunset Outer Richmond back in 2008, those areas didn't really get hit as much as some of the other areas. They might have seen a 10 to 15 percent drop even in the worst case scenario. So right now, home prices are still going up. I'm still seeing multiple offers, record heights, Right now, I just don't see how COVID has a negative impact on home prices yet. Maybe on the lower end homes, maybe outer areas like in Stockton and Sacramento. Um, But still, I have a handful of investors looking for investment properties out in those areas.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to this. Like When you look at... um... And here's how I look at it from an investor standpoint is that you look at the area, you look at demographics, you look at the data, and you try to understand the market and look at the inventory available. Look at the price ranges and we start understanding certain areas certain price ranges in the way the homes are set and the limited inventory or even limited homes available in general makes that, that area stay at a higher price point and even if you say the market's crashing because that area is so limited in space and growth and maybe they're not able to change from a single family to a, like a multi-unit then you know that in the future you can't build there you can only buy there and when you can only buy there that home area is going to pretty much hold but let's say you go to a brand new area that has brand new open development, that area was more likely for me to say that the prices will fluctuate more drastically because there's so much open space. I can build a brand new home next door, right?
1: Right, And and
0: of course, you want a brand new home next door if you can always have that option. So those are some things to consider. And in terms of pricing right now, I think the price is not dramatically dropping because of that inventory shortage and because there's so much equity involved now in uh, houses in the Bay Area, especially that, yeah, people might say they can't afford to pay for the milk, but we're gonna find a solution to that. You know, whether it's you know um, delaying payments um, and going from that route, and I'm sure people have good savings. But in that case, you know the area here is doing pretty well, um, and people are still buying. And even if we think the market's dropping, there's it's gonna be hard to find the right property you want. But always kind of be on the lookout for that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, um, my advice to any home buyers right now. Um, is to get yourself ready because there are those diamonds in the rough. There are those homes that are the perfect house. But just like you, there may be two, three, 10 other people looking for the perfect house in the right neighborhood. And when those homes comes up in the market, you need to put yourself in the position to make the highest and the best offer. So let me explain that further. Obviously, the highest means the highest price. But obviously, you're not going to be silly enough to offer a house that is truly worth about $1.4 million and you're going to offer the seller 1.6, right? That's not the way to do. But it has to be reasonable. But the best offer is the best terms. The best terms could be if the seller is looking for a rent back, offer the rent back. If the seller is looking for fast close, go ahead and do a fast close. But you've got to really make sure that you are ready. Uh, get your loan not just pre-approved, but fully underwritten. That means that you actually submit your application to a lender, to an underwriter, for that underwriter to approve you, Matthew, up to this purchase price. And once you find the right property, it enables you several things. One, you'll be able to submit a non-contingent offer because you know the underwriter has really revealed all your package, including your income, your assets, your credit, and everything else that can relate it to you. So you know that you're golden, so you know you can submit a non-contingent yeah. offer. You'll be able to present to the listing agent that you don't just have a pre-approval, you have a credit approval. Hopefully that will stand out from the competition. And lastly, because we do all the dirty work and verification upfront, you will be able to close a transaction in much shorter days, as opposed to the typical 30 days. And sometimes that is crucial, crucial to the sellers, especially if they are in contract to purchase another home already. And especially if you're competing against an all cash offerable, right? so get yourself ready get your loan underwritten so when the right house comes up you're ready to make the highest and the best offer
0: yeah i think um a lot of people out there of course people are scared about Eddie. oh it takes a lot of work to get the pre-approval and get all my documentation ready and I don't even know if I'm buying today. I might be buying a month or two later. But what we would try to remind them is that fact is get pre-approved now. Make sure you fully understand. Make sure the lender looks at your credit report, looks at all your documentation. See, they might find what's missing from you. Might need some extra letters, extra explanations, extra documents. But by having it all ready, it makes it so much easier to fully understand, be fully underwritten and ready to go for especially when you find that diamond in the rough. And even in 2020, we found a few diamond in the roughs that went really quick. Quickly. And for those mm-hmm. who are not ready, they're like, oh, I'll, I'll get a, my pre approval today. Hey, you know that takes a while. It takes like, for example, it can take you one week, two weeks, depending on how fast you are. <laughs> Lenders are very fast, but are you fast enough to get everything they need? Uh, yeah. most, most people are not that fast to get everything they need because they, they have to go find it. And have they submitted their 2019 taxes yet? Not everyone has submitted yet. And the IRS, aren't they currently closed right now still or delayed?
1: Um, I think they're open, but a lot of things are delayed and mm-hmm. processed online. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the things that you've got to pay full attention to, right? It's not, it's not, a, well, I know I'm well-qualified. Yes, I know you're well-qualified, but when it comes to mortgage lending nowadays, um, as we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast is that banks are looking for more documentation than before because of COVID. So you really don't want to put all the stress on yourself to commit to a 20 day close or even 25 day close. And you just start the process now, the day that your offer is accepted. Because trust me, you there's so many things that you can' think of that we now are asking for, right? Um, so get yourself ready.
0: Yeah, and yeah, all things always come up, and what you want to do now and we tell our clients is try to get fully pre-approved, fully underwritten. Not all banks do underwriting find out which banks do do underwriting and find out what you need from the banks and find out the rates and the people you want to work with. Uh, people can always promise you great rates, but that doesn't matter. What really matters first is that you make sure you work with a great experienced lender who can help you close the deal because without the deal, the rate doesn't matter. Um, right. If you can get the rate and the deal and you know they're just highly successful and there are a lot of great lenders just like Kitty uh, who can give you both and work really hard to make sure they can maximize based on your uh, profile that they can give work with you and find out the best solution for you
1: yes thank you yeah so get your really get yourself ready because trust me i've seen many situations a customer call me up and say kitty you know what talk to you two months ago i really did not complete the application can i do that now there's a house that i just saw this weekend they're taking offers on monday (laughs) And, and even if i want to work you know burn my midnight oil if you will sometimes you know it's they're not in the position to make the most competitive offer Um, To give you an example, I worked with a set of first time home buyer, the nicest people, very well qualified, but they didn't get the work done until they saw the house. And two days later, the offer, you know, offer was due and we were going to go in at a certain price and certain terms. And last minute, they this first time home buyer um, was a little bit nervous. Again, this was their first offer. It's a big decision to make. And per the friend's advice, they insisted on a seven day loan contingency on a house that had about seven offers.
0: Hmm, yeah. And again,
1: it's their choice. I, I can't, you know, make them one way or the other, but because they weren't ready, they feel like they needed a seven day protection. Yeah. And I can tell you at the end of the day, we lost because of the seven days.
0: Yeah. And that happens a lot. Um, yes. Most people, you know, a lot of people out there, you, you always want to have protection and think about it. But at the same time, a lot of people out there are actually offering non contingent offers. And of course, that's the buyer's choice. But if you feel prepared, you had everything ready, you fully underwritten, and you trust uh, your lender as well, then you can go in more confidently. But if you're telling from day one oh, the offer's due tomorrow. I'm going to start my application today. Then it's really hard to feel confident or even for your lender to feel confident that you can do it in seven days, which goes right, by right. really quickly. Seven calendar days, including holidays. So that yes. goes by really fast. That
1: is that is fast. And trust me, I usually said, you know what, you might as well not have one because mm-hmm. when by the time time's up with the appraisal and everything, I won't have it underwritten in seven calendar days, which could be five or maybe even depending like this long weekend, yeah, you know, four days. Yeah, it, it doesn't happen that fast.
0: There's, it's not possible. And if you do go do it, you're at a high risk because you only have four days to review. No one can review your whole financial profile of life in four days. Yes, you know? yes.
1: So really get ready. And the the sheer amount of paperwork, though, um, some would imagine, oh, that's okay. I have a job. I have you know, a couple of accounts. But especially when it gets involved with some of uh, my buyers with bonuses and rsus mm-hmm. it gets complicated because there's a lot more documentation for you to pull
0: yeah exactly and yeah especially like RCU's. and a lot of people out here have a lot of RCU's, and there's certain restrictions about it and you have to understand your restrictions you also have to look at companies too what company is it provided from how lot you know what's the the risk of the company and if it's a great company then you know it's more like they take it into into effect accountable versus some mm-hmm. um, that might be risky like oh, you have RSUs but your company is never heard of um you know we don't really want to qualify that as in, uh, extra income where you know deposit yes. right because you can't guarantee yes. when your release release date is for those RSUs being restricted or not so like yes. what do you, gonna, go ahead go ahead yeah. go ahead So what do you think about the current market right now in terms of like lending the rates, the timing and the trends you're seeing uh, going on?
1: I would say um, make sure that you stay in touch with your lender. For example, even if you got pre-approval from XYZ lender as recently as March or April, things could have been different. So let me give you an example. Um, I can only speak of Wells Fargo's policy. Prior to June 20th, For a jumbo loan, let's say a million dollars, let's say you buy something for 1.2, 1.3, and you put 20% down and you finance a million dollars from us. Wells Fargo was asking 12 months reserves. So 12 months of your total housing payment. So if your total housing payment, including tax and insurance is 5,000. So we want 60,000 in the bank after close of escrow. Out of the 60,000, 30,000 must be liquid. 30,000 can come from your retirement funds. And that have always been—I wouldn't always say always—for the longest time—that was our reserve requirement. Since June 20th, we have increased our reserve requirement across the board by six months. So the very same buyer, if they start the application with me after June 20th, instead of sixty thousand reserve, we are now asked for more. We ask for actually about you know seventy-five to 80,000 80, So depending on again the the profile, but. That can actually change. Now, of course, we basically grandfather that for those who started the application. Um, So, if you started the application in in April before June 20th, we'll grandfather that in. But that pre approval would expire because pre approvals do not last forever. They last about 120 days from the day that we pull your credit. So, if you pull your credit on April 1st, your pre approval will last till May. June, July, and August, right? Once the pre-approval the credit report expires, we have to report credit, and your qualification is now subject to the new guidelines, which is 18 months. So make sure you stay in touch with your loan agents. Make sure you are still qualified. Um, there's another retail bank very well-known in the area, one of the major retail banks, um, recently announced that they are now requiring minimum 25% down as opposed to 20. And so if you have a pre-approval with them, um, in some infant situation, they require 30% down depending on the loan sizes. So if you got pre-approval from them in April to buy this $1.5 million house with 20% down, now they're going to be telling you that, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew, you need 30%. That's a major difference and not every single homeowner can bridge the gap.
0: That is a major difference. 10% more is definitely a lot, especially when you go with like, you know, a million dollar ranges, it comes really quickly.
1: Yeah, not everybody have bank of mom and dad that can actually (laughs) help them out with the difference. So make sure and the same advice to buyer's agents, same advice to listing agents. If you see a slightly dated pre-approval, pick up the phone, call the loan agent, make sure that the loan program is still available. At the same time, I'm sure you've heard from your other guests who may be in the mortgage banking and mortgage brokering business. Since COVID, many of them have lost their jumbo lenders, right? So that was probably a big concern. They're slowly coming back on the mortgage banking and mortgage brokering side, but there are some limitations what they can and cannot afford comparing to COVID. Um, So again, just because you were pre-approved and technically the pre-approval has not expired, policy have changed. So make sure you stay in touch with your loan agents
0: yeah i heard a lot of uh jumbo investments went away really quickly once COVID started um the investors are scared because it's not easily bought by fannie freddie they their jumbo loans they're not normal conventional loans yeah. so that, what that means is that the lend the lenders are holding that money is their direct money and you want to make sure they they keep the allocation of, of their money well protected uh being an investment loan and the jumbo loans are now slowly coming back which is great to hear yeah. and that there are some banks out there, so if you're looking, you got to make sure you find the right bank that can support and do jumbo loans and have a great rate for you and match the terms that meet the requirement. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad that's come back. Does Wells Fargo have a jumbo loan right now?
1: Yep, we definitely have always have jumbo loans because we're really in the jumbo market. So if you look at data from SAMCAR, different different organizations, we're probably the number one jumbo lenders in the Bay Area. Um, so we are very strong. We Underwritings are done locally. So far, we have not sold any of our loans. We service our jumbo loans. So there's some good and bad. Um, The good is that our underwriting is within us, so we don't have to go to uh, another investor for second-level approval. We make the exceptions ourselves. Despite what's going on, we are still making exceptions. We're a little bit cautious about it. Um, We since part of the policy, one of the policy uh, retractions that we had since COVID was before the underwriter has the option to approve debt to income ratio up to 45% on a jumbo loan. We lower that to 43%. So there's a 2% draw, um, but management can still approve up to 48% with the right compensating factor with the right ball war. But I would imagine once it goes beyond 48%, it may be a lot more difficult versus before COVID, we were approving things higher than 50% DTI with the right customer. So definitely we're a little bit more conservative, if you will, in underwriting. But with the right customer, and that's the beauty, beauty of portfolio lending. Portfolio means that we're not selling the loan. We're keeping the loan on our balance sheet. One of the beauties of portfolio lending is that it's common sense and makes sense underwriting to Wells Fargo. As long as it makes sense, it's a good credit risk, customers demonstrate ability to repay, um, we will consider those.
0: Nice. And that's like going back to the part about being ready, because if you're ready and you have this information, then they can tell you, yay, you're actually near 43, 45, 40% DTI, debt to income ratio. Uh, Let me go speak to management and see if we can get you approved. You're a pre-existing client or you have some good credits and good numbers that they can make an exception for you. But if you're telling me your offer is due tomorrow and you just give me the application today, there's probably no time for you to get exceptions to make that happen.
1: Yes, so let me give you a perfect example. I am working with a client who is relocating from the East Coast to the Bay Area because of job. So obviously she's living on the East Coast still, she's working from home at her new job and she's looking to purchase. Now, she didn't want to sell her current home yet. She wants to buy, relocate and slowly sell that house. So meanwhile, she will probably have two mortgages, the big mortgage in the Bay Area and the small mortgage on the East Coast. And if you look at her profile, um, her debt-to-income ratio is about 48% because she has two mortgages. Well-qualified client. Now, if she didn't come to me earlier and say, Kitty, please approve me. I just got into contract today, and this is my profile, I would be quite nervous for her because there's no guarantee that any bank would approve her in today's market at 48% DTI, right? Right. Now, of course, there's some banks that say, great, I will omit that payment. There's some unique financing other people will offer, but they're not at those rates that I offer, right? So imagine if her DTI is 48% using 3% to qualify. Imagine someone offer her 4% interest rate um, that can have some loose underwriting. Her DTI will be even higher than 48%, correct? So anyway, uh, fast forward to that, we submitted her loan for a fully underwritten pre-approval. We have to go ahead and document her Previous job, um, she was eligible for bonuses. Previous job, she was eligible for RSUs, even though she has not received her bonus yet at, at a new job. But her offer letter says that so-and-so is her target bonus is up to 25% of her base. So yeah. we can see the trend record in her position. It's customary for her to get RSUs and cash bonuses and even sets in her offer letter. And when all the stars line up and she still has plenty of reserve after she put her 25% down on her new purchase in the Bay Area, even without selling her house on the East Coast, she still has another $400,000 in the bank. So technically, she could try to make it to the 43% DTI by putting more money down, but she doesn't feel like that she wants to sell her stocks. Anyway, we were able to, we took a longer time. We took about a week and a half to go to management, and we finally got her approved up to 48%. And again, that's planning. So now that she's got that approved, she knows what her maximum limit is. And it give her a much secure sense, knowing exactly what to offer and her buyer's agent know exactly what type of home to look for her. So yeah. that, that helps tremendously.
0: It does too, and I think one of the goals that not everyone mentions is that your lender should go to bat for you. And even when you present an offer, sometimes lenders will go and call the listing agent for you and tell them, "Hey, my client is willing, really willing, able, and ready, and they're fully underwritten. We verified everything. We even you know, got them so far that we were confident. And if you choose our buyers to buy the house, that we can help make sure this loan gets closed." And having the confidence and having the ability to showcase it to the listing agent makes the, them and the seller more confident and you know, and XYZ versus saying, hey, I, ne- I don't know this person. I don't know the company. I don't know if they're pre-approvals. Who's that from? And have yes. they even been, re- uh, they put pre-qualified, pre-approved. Are they really? And have, you know, you have underwritten them. Do you want to take that offer or do you want to take this better offer?
1: Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So again, in a competitive office situation, terms is quite important, as you probably know. Fast close, uh, you know, no contingency and, and in enough reserve to bridge the appraisal gap those are the things that a lot of times listing agent will call and interview me to ask if my buyers are qualified. Um, So having those components will definitely increase your chances of your offer being accepted.
0: Yeah. And a lot of agents ask you, hey, have you heard of this bank before? Or have you heard of this loan officer? I'm going, hmm, not really. You may want to call them to verify that they really did this. And, you know, do you trust them when they say they actually pre-approved, pre-qualified and fully underwritten them? Most lenders might say no, they haven't done anything yet. They just got an application today. And yeah, we wrote them as a pre-qualified based on the income they told me, but not me verifying what they did. Yes. and that even some banks do like triple checks now like they check your income beforehand that you have a job check your you still have a job during the middle and even at the end before they fund the deal that you still have a job. Yep, so
1: yep. So yeah, are, we do a lot of verification.
0: That is a lot of verification and that I get it. You know, you got to make sure that people still have a job at the end of the 15, 20, 30 days of closing a escrow. and things change drastically every day right now. So no yep. one knows for uh, for sure. Um, so Right now, during twenty twenty and COVID nineteen, um, has that really affected business in general for lenders, for loan officers, uh, for agents out there, and clients in different guess, different markets? Yeah,
1: different. I guess again, you cannot really generalize, right? Because mm-hmm. there are different loan agents, a different type of outfits, mm-hmm. um, different investors, different buyers. I would say, for the most part, in the Bay Area, again, we're very, very lucky. We have truly an abundance of wealth, right? Um, a typical two income family, especially if they're in tech or biotech, it's not unusual to have a two income household family making between 200 to 500,000 a year. Um, Sadly, that's probably middle-class considering for the Bay Area, but for other parts of the country, these are the top 1%. And so we have abundance of wealth, abundance of buyers ready and able to buy, like you said. Um, So I personally don't see much drop Now, there are a handful of my buyers, at least speaking from experience, they are a little bit hesitant to make the move. Not so much because they are concerned with the Bay Area housing market. At least with my personal experience, these buyers are hesitant for their own personal reasons. Some of them are on a work visa. Um, They're not sure how the visa may be extended or not extended because there are a lot of talks, right? Some were concerned uh, they're not in the... The the biotech or the tech market, some may be in the hospitality business, maybe blue collars that used to work a lot of overtime. I have a a very well-paid electrician, um, but because of shelter in place, his overall compensation, about 25% comes from overtime. And because of shelter in place, that was not available. And he doesn't know when that will fully come back. So he was a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger because that represented about 25% of his income. For the most part, I don't see much change. Um, I have seen people coming back and say, Kitty, you know what? I'm back. I kind of put the bricks you know, back in March um, because they weren't. I didn't feel comfortable going out looking at the homes. In fact, you couldn't even look at homes at that time back in March and April that now you can actually see a property. Um, they're back. So I, I don't see much change yet.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of um, buyers were you know, hesitant, especially during the March-April time is like, you know, About their jobs, also about working from home, and a lot of companies out there are actually extending work from home. So some are work from home into the end of the year, and then we'll see what happens, or work from home indefinitely. So that actually gives you a major change. It's like now you've got to figure out, what do I do? Do I actually want to stay in the San Francisco Bay Area? Do I want to move to a different area? Do I want to move to a different state? If you move to a different state, will the will the company actually you know change uh, your yearly salary? Most likely, yes, based on the current location you choose to move to, and based on their tax reasons alone, um, that has an impact. But at the same time, if you're you know really well paid, then you might consider, hey, I actually want a bigger house, I want to live in you know a different part of the states or wherever, or even out outside, then it's a big change, right? And yeah. do you want to buy here now, or do you wait?
1: Well, interesting how you mentioned that I'm closing a transaction for a lovely young couple who have lived in their home in Redwood City for quite some time. And because of shelter in place, they're now they sold the Redwood City home and we're closing escrow on the new purchase in Plaza County in Lomas mm-hmm. Price is the same. They sold for about 1.7. They buy for 1.7. Nice. But the house that they're buying, it looks like a mini resort with a swimming pool, with a 6,000 square foot house six six thousand like four thousand <laughs> the lot size is big. But it's yeah. like comparing to the house in Burroughs City, the same same price, you're really tripling the the square footage, right? Mm-hmm. With the outdoor space.
0: And that's a big consideration right now, too, because right now people are asking, hey, I want a backyard. I need some private open space where I can breathe freely and not worry for my kids and just enjoy life rather than being, you know, some people have smaller houses, condos, downtown. They're like, I want more space now. I'm I'm tired of sitting here in this small space. I can't use my amenities because, you know, of COVID. So I want a a house.
1: And yes, and they, they actually, because they could work from home. Yeah, um, I also have another uh, buyer uh, for newly public went, the company went public and she's one of the executives and she had the conversation with me said, Kitty, I never thought that my team could be effective working from home because I was mm-hmm. never they were never forced to work from home. And traditionally, we think that you're more effective when you have a big group of people working in a conference conference room together. Right. When you have meetings together, when you when you can go tap your neighbors, your, your neighbor's shoulder and say, Hey, can you please talk to me about this? Because since shelter in place, we found that our productivity has not gone down. In fact, they have gone up. Yes, we may be working long hours because we take two-hour lunch because we have young babies at home, but we're actually getting things done more effectively. And she said, yeah, I'm going to implement this. After everybody comes back to work, maybe we're still going to go work from home because it's less expensive for the company, right? People are more effective, less commute time. So it really changes everybody's mindset of, where they choose to live. Maybe they need a bigger house, not in downtown San Francisco, but maybe in the suburbs that they can have an office that can do Zoom meetings. Um, so I'm actually seeing a lot of these changes. People' behaviors have changed because of this pandemic.
0: Yeah, I've seen a lot of it. And actually, that's something like our company thrives on uh, for EXP. And even then, just being in the virtual world, like I've been in virtual world and online for 20 plus years in the tech industry. I was at, working from home and I'd training thousands of engineers in cybersecurity. But being that is like, if you think about it, you can do so much more globally than you can do locally. And the fact that is you can impact many more people by helping them and saying that I'm not restricted to location. I'm restricted just to my abilities. And if I can prove my abilities and help anyone anywhere in the world, then you have so much more resources and abilities to help people and grow. And you can create a bigger global team. And there's so many smart people around the world to help each other. But if you keep staying local, then you're only tied to those people local physically next to you. Then it's, it's, it's a lot harder. Like you know, you can find people in different locations, different price points, and everything, and they can build just as good or better than the people who are here. And it, yeah, it not, it it's, it's,
1: it's crazy. You know, there are, people are changing, right? So much yeah. how we live, how we shop. We're shopping more online. Um, it's it's just, it's it's unique. You're buying your grocery. You, I'm having my vegetables delivered from the farm because you know a lot of these farmers are not doing as well. So they actually have venture out to this online shopping for even your vegetables and your fruits. It's just completely different.
0: Yeah. So that changes the market real estate and marketing space and dynamic because you can buy anything from anywhere and have it delivered right to your home. You don't have to leave your house if you don't want to. Even yes. for us, like we're buying everything online. Um, all our groceries all online now, everything shipped to our house and we just uh, get it, clean it and then bring it upstairs and you can enjoy it versus you know, going out and taking that kind of risk and trying to bring your kids out. is not easy to go grocery shopping yes. and not touch anything for them. So having it delivered it changes the game for everyone.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to mortgage lending, I would say I still talk to my clients. Sometimes I talk to them multiple times a day, especially when we have a life transaction going on and you have to close the transaction in 20 days. We've all become best friends, but there's no need to quote unquote, see my clients. Mm -hmm. Right. Because because of shelter in place, everything can be done electronically. So um, that, again, changes how we conduct business, um, how we live, how we work. Um, it's, it's, it's different kinds. So I've clients who say, Kitty, you know what? I don't want to live in my downtown high rise, San Francisco and paying a thousand dollars HOA anymore. <laughs> it was sexy. It was fun yeah. when I was younger. Yeah. Right now it's like, I don't need to really walk to downtown, but maybe I can live in the suburbs with still a little yard, um, you know, less expensive, less crowded. And then I have my own office. So my husband and my wife or vice versa can have their own, you know, office space, if you will.
0: Yeah, it's changing people's mindsets and the, the ability to work, and they're expanding on the fact that hey, I can actually—I never thought about this, but I can—I can actually work at home. I see it now, and I see how easy it is to hop on a Zoom call, a conference call, a virtual uh, world, and just chat and actually have connections. Like even for me and Kitty right now, I'm talking to her live, and I'm getting to see Kitty and you know share. And it's different from being at a, in front of her at a coffee shop or at her office or my office. But at the same time, we can have more conversations faster, easier, and more access to people and you just start feeling this is becoming the the new norm it's so much and to me i love it i love this way it's just so much faster to connect with many people just like you and have great conversations rather than just hopping on a phone call I i don't really see i don't feel i don't know the connection there's no connection on a phone call or text or email versus having these um calls like this
1: right exactly exactly so um but it's still great um i have to say you know we mentioned earlier about you know being around and 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 Real estate investing, I actually love, I'm biased. First of all, I've been in the business long enough. Um, not only that, I do the, the work because I do mortgages every day. Um, I also invest in real estate. And again, um, I don't think there's any good or wrong time, good time or bad time to invest as long as your goal is long-term investment. You're not looking for a quick sale. You're not looking to acquire a property of 700,000 and you turn around and sell for eight as long as you are prepared financially that you're going to be sometimes where you have a difficult tenant that chooses not to pay i'm dealing with one right now mm. um don't get me started on it yeah. but as long as you 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 are financially prepared that look this is a long-term investment right it, someone else is paying your mortgage for you as long as you are diligent about you know spending diligent about maintaining it and having to rent it out even though there's some ups and downs, and maybe some negative months at the end of the day in 30 years your house will be paid off because you only, and remember leverage um, on a $700,000 house, you do not pay $700,000 for, you pay 20, 25% down, maybe even 10% down for it. So imagine your investment is not 700, your investment is your down payment, right? So that's the beauty of leverage and using other people's money. Um, Again, I truly believe in that. Um, I truly be, believe in real estate because long term you will make money
0: yeah just look at Warren Buffett what is he doing and how is he leveraging um, I think he's leveraging to the maximum in one sense but like you said OPM other, other people's money like like the banks and yeah. leveraging and creating that thought mindset of hey I only need to put zero five ten, 15, 20% down payment. And if I can buy a house and have a renter uh, help cover the mortgage, they're paying the principal, which is the most important part. They're helping you pay your interest and hopefully your tax and insurance. So that way long-term wise, you can gain that equity, the wealth. And you know, 30 years later or even sooner, so much sooner, that you have this valuable asset that you can pass on to your kids, right?
1: Yes, yes. I again I truly believe in that. So every time I to talk to my first-time home buyers you know, Auntie Kitty comes out, right? Because I'm, I'm a mom. Um, yeah. Like, you know, don't don't, don't worry about your first house. It doesn't have to be perfect. And I don't think anybody statistically shows most people actually own two or three homes before they get settled mm-hmm. down. So your first house, don't look at it as almost like a fancy house. Look at it as almost as an investment as opposed to um, your long-term dream house, right? Either you're going to pay rent, live at home in your mom's basement, live in your car, or you buy a nice condo even if that's the only thing you can afford right now get yourself in the real estate market so you're not paying someone else's mortgage you're paying your own mortgage paying down the principal and then when you're ready you can sell that condo and buy your next single family home in fact yeah. i did exactly the same um my 10 my 10 mortgage mm-hmm. um 1996 for san leandro single family house in the Washington Manor area for 168,000. Wow. That was a long time ago. I wish it was about 10 of those. Yeah. Um, but at that time I was relatively younger. I borrowed 20% from my mom and I used it as my down payment. Lived there with my husband or then boyfriend at that time. And we, four or five years later, we saved enough money. We ended up buying a newer development in San Leandro at Heron Bay for about six hundred and forty thousand, and because we have accumulated equity from our first home, we actually sold that, got the twenty percent down, to move to this six hundred and forty thousand dollar single family home new development in Heron Bay, and Dang. so so, I don't know four years five years later, my daughter was born, my son was born. We figured okay, we want to go from East Bay to Millbrae with a better school district. We sold that home. And we put 20% down whatever equity we have gained. And we bought a single family house in Millbrae. That was the only house we could afford because it was cheaper, smaller. Mm -hmm. But again, we didn't want to go back to parents for help. So we go from San Leandro single family house to a new development to Millbrae. And of course, the Millbrae house, we outgrew that Millbrae house. Since then, we sold that home and moved to a slightly bigger home in Millbrae. All came from my parents' $35,000 gift funds.
0: Yeah, that's amazing, right? Like you know, the ability to grow equity so quickly and to be able to move. And moving is not the harder part. The fact is just the mindset. Of like, hey, I, you're you're doing an investment. You're buying your first house. Not perfect, you know. You're gonna grow up. You're gonna grow bigger. Grow bigger family, and then you just keep taking that and moving forward and keep saving during that time. But imagine how quickly the equity grows. There's no way in for the majority of people out there. There's no way your income from a job can grow as much income versus equity in the housing market. And the fact of the benefits of a house versus paying rent is so much substantially greater that you need to start sooner and buy the first house as soon as you can. Even if you're 18 years old, start planning now, start getting ready to buy a house. Look at the numbers, try to understand the market. And like you, Kitty, you went through four houses already. And I'm sure you can keep going through many more as you want to keep growing, you know?
1: Yep, exactly. And the same story goes with my investments property. Bought my first in, well, besides this besides the Arizona home, I bought my first Bay Area real estate investments about Got really good time in 2011 with all the short sales going on for about $400,000. So I put $100,000 down, 25%, right? Buy that single family home. Uh, I still own it. I'm getting $4,000 in rent. Nice. And several years after I acquired the property for $400,000, the value have gone up. I took a home equity line, or actually, I refinanced, took the down payment that I put originally, $100,000. Since then, I have acquired using the same 100000 Now, granted, I was lucky because I bought at the very low in 2011. And properties keep, value keeps going up. And I was able to refinance and dock the money out, buy another piece, took the money out, buy another piece. So at the end of the day, my current home, I started off a 35000 loan that I got from my mom. Um, and then my investments property, the first home, I put $100,000 down, $120,000. And since then, I have taken money out, refinanced, took the money back and purchased additional properties. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it, I, I don't think I can ever honestly save that kind of money because there's no way, right? You know, pay, after paying taxes, saving a couple hundred thousand dollars in a few years, it just, it's just impossible. But real estate can achieve that.
0: Yeah, I think that's why if you look at a lot of banks uh, lenders, financial institutions, they put a lot of their money into real estate, even like 70% of, uh, I heard like even like New York Life and other companies putting 70% into real estate because that's one of the biggest, best assets to use out there in forms of leveraging and building wealth and they're giving you money back in terms of payment or dividends, but they're giving you at a way lower rate than what they can achieve themselves. And I guess regardless of price or income levels you're currently at, the fact is knowledge and learning how to invest and learning how what you can afford to invest, whether it's here in California or a different state, it matters and that when you learn how to do this, you can start building and leveraging and buying houses. And like you just did, what your method is called, uh, people use the word BRRR, B-R-R-R, so you buy a house, for example, you remodel it, refinance it, you rent it out refinance it but what you're doing is kind of creating a infinite return because you put x amount of money in and you got that x amount x amount of money back out and now you Mm -hmm. own the home you're getting positive income so it's positive cash flow and then you're using the equity to go buy more houses so in a sense that you're using free money you're using other people's money your money you put in came back to you and yes, growing, yes. And that exponential growth can be crazy if you kn- know how to manage your finances well, track everything and keep uh, growing your leveraging while staying safe doing that. That's better than, uh, you know, other things. That's why a lot of people are going into real estate.
1: Yeah. So, again, a lot of home, first-time buyers will ask me, Kitty, what do you think? Is this a good time to buy? Yeah. And I'm like, kind of like, you know what? There's not a good or bad time. Just like buying stocks, when is a good time to buy Tesla? Right? Mm, we talked yeah. about that. It's $1,000, is it still too high? Well, by the time it goes to, let's say, 1500 if it does go to $1,500, you yeah. are gonna say, I should have bought when it was 1000 Yeah. right? You, you just never know.
0: Exactly, it's always after the fact that we're like, oh, I should have done it then. Oh, I knew I could have done it then, but I should have done it then. <laughs> yes, so, yes. why didn't you, why didn't we do it then? You know, I wish we did it then, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. As long as I think you have to manage risk, as long as it's within your risk tolerance, mm-hmm right? You know, what if you don't have a tenant for six months? What if you're like me, my tenant just because of COVID, one sidedly he decided he doesn't want to pay me rent. As long as you kind of have that safety net and have that reserve to build in in case of emergency, I think owning real estate for long term is still the ideal investment.
0: I think it is. If you make the numbers work, you understand, like you just said, and you feel confident you can make your numbers work. And especially when you work with a great team, a great lender, a great investors, great agents, and you understand the, uh, the market you want to be in and why, then you feel a lot more confident in having a team help you get there um, to make that accomplishment goal your accomplishments, you know? Right. And without okay. having a successful lender, a successful agent, investors who know what they're doing and to help guide you, then it's going to be a-, a lot more challenging.
1: Right. I agree.
0: Cool. Okay. So let's, you know, we're about to wrap it up right now. You know, um, so how can people reach out to you?
1: Oh, easy. Um, my cell phone is always attached to my forehead. Um, <laughs> so my kids are so much older now. So you can call me. The best number actually is not the one on here, but rather on my cell phone. Okay. So let me go ahead and tell you what my cell phone number is 510 579 7462. So let me okay. repeat sure that is 510. 510- 579-7462. Or you can Google me on Wells Fargo websites. I'm sure you get a hold of me.
0: Okay, perfect. So that way they can reach out to you by call, text, email, I'll get a hold of you, talk to you about lending, residential lending. And you know, using your background experience in real estate investing, that definitely helps a lot as a lender too, because they can have more confidence and guidance from you too. Like, hey, if what I'm doing is right and the loan makes sense itself and the numbers make sense, then it's easier to understand from you. But, yeah, for more information, feel free to reach out to Kitty uh, Lee. And if you want to find out more from us, check out our interviews, mastermind events, and more at MatthewMaw.com. And I'll talk to you guys soon.
1: Thanks so much, Kitty. good. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. Bye. Bye.